For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Nazarite vow. This was a vow of consecration, a vow of separation. And on today, we're going to answer the question, should Christians take the Nazarite vow being under the New Testament covenant with God? Make sure you stay tuned. You were listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. For more information, visit the website at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. And now, here's your Bible teacher, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Good Treasure Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Visit my website when you get a chance. We have quite a few books that I've written um, from my children's series, The Adventures of Rai Rai. We have a Christian comic book. On the story of David and Goliath It's called David, Man of War And I also have several spiritual books um, I'm currently pushing The Divorced Christian It's a book that I wrote on the subject of divorce It's for Christians who have experienced divorce But it's a real deep dive in Bible study Into the subject of divorce throughout the scriptures We also have a podcast show The Divorced Christian podcast show with listeners in 47 different countries so you can find that on apple Podcasts as well as spotify but all that information is right there on my website at dariusgood.com you can also visit the church's website at bgc.family on today we're going to look at the subject of the nazarite vow um, we're going to define it quickly because we've been going over it for the last several weeks but on today we're going to answer the question should Christians take the Nazarite vow? And so you are listening to episode 19 if you're listening on the podcast show and it's entitled Should Christians Take the Nazarite Vow? So let's begin by naming several Nazarites that are listed in the scripture. Um, probably, probably the most popular would be Samson. And we can find his story there in the book of Judges, somewhere around Judges chapter 13. Uh, Samuel was also a Nazarite, and we have him listed in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, we have Absalom, who was mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 14. We have John the Baptist mentioned in Luke chapter 1. And then, of course, there's a debate regarding Jesus, whether or not he was actually a Nazarite or simply from Nazareth. And of course, there are some enough information in the scripture to lend the idea that he had taken the Nazarite vow. Uh, some that debate that he did not. Most of their arguments do not line up with the rules that pertain to the Nazarite vow. And so um, we have Paul mentioned in Acts chapter 18. And then there is a family. A man by the name of Jonadab, uh, part of the house of the Rechabites, or Rechabites. We find their story in Jeremiah chapter 35 as a family that had taken the Nazarite vow. So you find the actual vow listed in uh, Numbers chapter 6. 
And it's a vow that can be taken by both men and women. The purpose of the vow is to separate yourself unto God. I heard someone recently going through the the teaching on the Nazarite vow, and they were explaining that we've been separated and we're holy, but the Nazarite vow makes us more holy. That is not true. Just read the simple scriptures or read it simply as it explains the purpose of the vow was to separate themselves unto God for service. Now, the the part that the teacher was missing was that this vow was generally taken by those that were not a part of the priesthood. So it was a very similar vow to the vow requirement for those that are part of the Levitical tribe. But these were non uh priestly people. Um, They didn't have the responsibilities of the the temple and the priesthood. And yet they would take this vow to separate themselves to be used by God. It's clear that the vow could be taken by men and by women. In Numbers chapter six, verse two, it says when either man or woman shall separate themselves. So we understand that both men and women had taken this vow. And of course, It's funny that uh, with Samson, the requirement by the angel was that the Samson's mother could not partake of certain items and is very similar to the Nazarite vow. And yet people will still argue that she was not a Nazarite. So I find that strange that the scripture does say men and women, but we're quick to say that, well, she doesn't qualify. And then they find other reasons why other women did not qualify as uh, as participating in the Nazarite vow. But we understand that the vow is not a permanent vow. It's taken for a period of time. Numbers chapter six actually explains the requirement, the, the list of offerings and the procedure necessary to bring the vow to an end. That means the vow was not a permanent vow. But we do see people like Samson and Samuel um, that were Nazarites for life. And so we understand that there were different types of Nazarites. And this is where Christian teachings on the subject fail to understand. And it's it's clear in the scripture because we teach uh, the Christians, we teach that, you know, this is a vow for life. But we clearly see in Numbers chapter six that it was for a short period of time. So as I was reading in the Jewish writings, they were explaining that the minimum amount of time is 30 days. And we don't find that in the scripture. So within their Jewish um, passing down of oral laws, culture, experiences, they explain that you cannot take the vow for less than 30 days. The person that takes the vow must determine how long the vow would be. If they don't put a determination on it, then it's automatically 30 days. But they would have to state the type of vow they were taking. The three types of Nazarite vows was a vow for life and then there was a vow for a set period of time and then there was a vow like samson and as the jewish rabbis explained to take the vow like samson would require you to make the statement that i'm taking the vow like samson which then would allow you to uh, have interaction with the dead and I have a, I'm, I'm going to repeat this whenever I do my teachings on this particular vow. Um, Christian teachers say that 
Samson broke his vow, the Nazarite vow, by touching the dead lion. But they have no issues with Samson killing thousands of men. And the vow, as explained in number six, clearly states you cannot be around dead people. So with that being said, he would have broken his vow simply by being around a dead person. That scripture explains that if a person drops dead in front of you, you've just broken your vow. So then there was a process that they had to go through in order to uh, because they're defiled by the dead. So then the scripture then reveals the process they go through in order to cleanse themselves and then continue the vow. And of course, there were rules. And I went through, through this already. Uh, there were rules in place for when they were defiled. So if they broke the vow as far as drinking uh, uh, wine or anything from the grape, from the vine, then there was a procedure in place. And then same for being around the dead. And in one case, uh, 30 days had to be extended to the vow. In other cases, the vow had to start over from that period of cleansing. And so there was a lot of rules to this that you don't often hear taught in Christian teachings. Um, but I wanted to highlight this as I was going through and finding this information to be uh, extremely interesting. Um, one thing not mentioned in our scriptures that you find in the rabbinical teachings is the, the mikvah, which was a ritualistic immersion in water. It's a, pu- a process of purification. And they would do this at the end of their vow. And of course, we don't see that in the scripture. And then you learn that the mikvah is a major part of their process, that every temple was built over living water so that they can have this ritualistic cleansing. And then we begin to see, um, as some begin to point out with Jesus, that his baptism, they believe, was the ending of his Nazarite vow because we forget that the vow was only taken for a short period of time. It could be 30 days. It could be one year, three years, seven years. So that they look at the life of Jesus and say, well, he can't be a Nazarite because he drank wine. Well, he could have ended his vow once he was emerged in water through the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, I don't teach that. That's how Jesus or that verifies that Jesus was a Nazarite. What I do highlight is Jesus made the statement after the Last Supper that he will not taste of the vine anymore until he came into his kingdom. And then we see him on the cross as they offered him the vinegar made from uh, the berry, from from the vine, which is the vinegar was also one of those items they were not permitted to take of. And so we see that and we preach that every uh, Easter (laughs) when we preach the story of Jesus Uh, death on the cross, how he refused the vinegar and all of that would have been a part of that vow. So we don't know for sure if he took the vow, but there is some indication as we see this in place um, that he's following these dietary rules at this stage of his life, that it's a very good likelihood that Jesus might have taken the vow. Of course, we have the no cutting of the hair um, as one of the requirements also for those that took the vow. And so um, the Nazarite vow, we have these three categories, a Nazarite for a set period of time, a Nazarite that was permanent, that's for life. And of course, as we highlighted, those that took this vow for life were able to cut their hair once a year. And so the rabbinical teachers point to 
Absalom in those scriptures that talks about how he would go once a year and become bald. He would shave his head entirely. They would measure the weight of his hair. And this was um, to allow those that were taking the vow for life to remove the burden of the hair. So those that were not Nazarites for life could not cut their hair until the end of the vow and written there in Numbers chapter six, the shaving of the head was part of the requirement of bringing the vow to an end as the hair was burned and offered as part of the sacrifice. And it's a very elaborate sacrifice that they will go through at the end of the vow. So today we're going to answer this questions. Should Christians take the Nazarite vow? And of course, the purpose of the vow was to set yourself apart, to do a work for God. And we know a lot of people that pray this prayer, not my will, but your will be done. We pray the prayer of submission. We pray the prayer of consecration. And so all that really ties in with the whole concept and idea of the Nazarite vow, separating yourself unto God for service. So you see the similarities in the vow. And as I've gone on YouTube just to uh, look at different teachings, I began to come across Christians that are encouraging people to take the vow and they themselves took the vow. And they will talk about how they felt um, more clean, I guess, a cleansing during the process of taking the vow. They felt closer to God as a result of following the vow. And so they, they highlight this experience and encourage Christians to take the Nazarite vow. My issue with this is we are now not following New Testament scriptures. It's important for us as the New Testament church to follow New Testament teachings and then apply it to the Old Testament. We have to start there. We got to start with the teachings of Paul um, and the teachings of the disciples, the other apostles. We got Peter, James, and of course, James was the brother of Jesus. But we have these men that laid down a foundation of Christianity for us. And in doing so, these men were Jewish. They understood the law of Moses. They understood the practices, the, the offerings, the requirements by God. They were birthed in it. They were raised in it. And so for them to define for the church, those labeled the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to define for us what we are to follow as followers of Christ, that is what we must adhere to. We read the Old Testament as the scripture explains because the Old Testament is types and shadows. It reveals to us the character, the nature of God, his laws, his statutes, his ordinances. All of these things are important for us to understand. It explains the prophetic uh, as we have the major prophets, the minor prophets, as they prophesy the coming of Jesus Christ. All of this points to Jesus. The entire law of Moses points to Jesus. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And let me teach it this way. It doesn't mean that the law has been done away with. If we do away with the law, then things written in the law are now permissible because the law has now been made void. 
what was once unlawful, you can now do if the law has been done away with. But you cannot commit adultery. You cannot fornicate. You cannot bear false witness. We're still required to love our neighbor as ourselves. All that is Old Testament teaching. That's the law of Moses. So it's not the doing away, away of the law. With Jesus coming, what Jesus did was he fulfilled the law, brought it to a place of maturity, which was the requirement of faith. Now, everyone must have faith. We must believe. And in doing so, it's no longer about the blood. My mom's a Jew. My dad's a Jew. We're not born into the family. Now we are uh, birthed into the family. And I, and I shouldn't explain it that way because it's not the new, the new birth is not birthing into the family of God. We are, we are really adopted into the family of God. We have received the spirit of adoption by wherewith we can now cry, Abba, Father. So the new birth causes us to be, it's the enlightenment of our spiritual, spiritual nature. And we are also adopted into the family of God. And so it's, it's and I don't want to get into that, that teaching in theology on today, but just to help us understand that Jesus brought a fulfillment to the law, this portion of faith necessary so that we can be righteous in God's eyes. The law of Moses caused men to fall short, but that was the only standard of righteousness until Jesus came. So now that Jesus is here, I don't have to follow the Old Testament requirements to be righteous in God's eyes. And I said all that to say, we do not have to now take the Nazarite vow. Why? Because the Nazarite vow is connected to the law of Moses. Numbers chapter six is not a separate passage. There were certain things God established before the law was established. The law was established with Moses. He's the law. He was the law bringer. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh in preparation for his ministry to lead the nation of Israel and establish a law and a government for a brand new nation, the nation of Israel. We have the birth of the law. Anything before that would not be viewed as unlawful to God as it pertains to the law of Moses. So before the law of Moses, we still have faith. Abraham, the father of faith. We have tithing. Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. We have worship. And so we have all these different systems established by God through men before the birthing of the law of Moses. But now that we have the law through Moses, we have all these things now in place, the Sabbath and the Nazarite vow. And now we have Christians trying to keep certain things that God did not establish before the law. Now you might say with the Sabbath, God said to rest on the sixth day or, or seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. But what you do not find is anyone practicing the Sabbath until Moses. Once the manna fell from heaven, that's when Moses established the Sabbath. It was connected to the manna and it was also connected to their exodus from Egypt. 
The requirement for the Sabbath was to remember what God did in Egypt. So they connected these thoughts together. Your deliverance, the experience of the, the plagues of, Israel, of Egypt, and you were to remember that every seven days. Remember what God has brought you out of and to rest. And maybe I'll do a teaching on the Sabbath day because that's another thing that I've heard taught uh, wrong within the Christian community. But the Nazarite vow is a part of the law of Moses. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace. And if we go back to the law, then we are under the curse. So in Galatians chapter 3, we will begin at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. What you're going to find is the requirement was to continue in all things, to do all things written in the law. That's how the law was structured. You could not pick which laws you would live by. So I won't commit adultery. I won't uh, fornicate. I won't murder. Um, but I don't have an issue with lying. Well, then you just broke the law. You had to keep the entire law. That's how that law was structured. There were 613 laws. So you had to continue in the work of the entire law, which would also require the sacrifices and the offerings. At verse 11, Galatians 3.11, he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. You're not made righteous by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. The law is not of faith. It doesn't require faith. So if you're going to live by the law, then you must uh, do everything said in the law. That's Galatians 3. Verse 12, let's go to verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Jesus became cursed so that we might be free. Why would we now do works that was under the curse, under the law? It's not a requirement. There's another passage of scripture. In James chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 8, it reads, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Verse 9, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. So you can't have favorites. You can't favor people. That's a sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. That means you're guilty of the law. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. But he goes on to explain, gives this example. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. But if, you, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So you're, you're guilty of the entire law. You're not good in one area. The law was established. It's not an 80%, 90%, 50%. It 
The law is either 100 or zero. That's the way it was established. And so, so James is highlighting that you can't violate the law in one area and then feel that you're not guilty of the law. Let's go back to the Old Testament. When they made this vow unto God, the covenant at Mount Sinai, Moses went through, explains the 613 laws of God, the requirements by God, the covenant. I will bless you, but if, if you don't keep the law, then these are the curses that will come upon you. And they agreed. So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all, all, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Deuteronomy 28, verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded thee. Deuteronomy 29, verse 20. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. They entered into this agreement that they would keep the entire law. So we as New Testament Christians cannot take out the Nazarite vow, which is part of the law of Moses and only do that part. We would then be required to keep the entire law. But there are some things I believe we can learn from the Nazarite vow. The four requirements. I think we can use this in in concept of understanding a vow in our walk with God. So on next week, we're going to cover these four points that I think are critical to our New Testament walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us on today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Be blessed. You have been listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. To learn more about these books or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation and enlightenment. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, may God open unto you his good treasure. Be blessed.